you know, a friend of mine told me, he said, you know, there's, there's three ways if you want to sell a Band-Aid. The first way is you, you walk around, you look for people with cuts, sell them the Band-Aid. Number two is you, you walk around and you, you, you find out who's concerned, people who are concerned about getting cut, and you sell them the Band-Aid. And the third way is you cut people, and then you sell them the Band-Aid. And I'm not <laughs> suggesting that we, we all go around cutting people, but it's, the, it's this idea. <laughs> but it's this idea that you have to surface a little bit of that latent pain. The idea that you know when people wake up in the morning, they're not walking around thinking, I need to get a gym membership. I need to get a magic bullet. I need to do this. I need to do that. And so, you know, if you can use a simple formula like the infomercial formula to kind of uh, architect your pitch in a way that gently leads the person through both the problem statement and how your solution um, is a better one than what's out there, then you're going to be in great shape. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six- to seven-figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your co-host, Nikki Ballou. I'm your other co-host, Michael Palmer. And boy, do we have an incredible guest lined up for you today. This man is someone I greatly admire. He is truly, truly a renowned expert in selling. I met him at one of the premier conferences for startups. He did a brilliant talk on the future of selling. And I'm super, super glad that he accepted our invitation to be on the podcast today. Welcome to the show, David Primer. Wow. Thank you so much, guys. Great to, great to be here. I'm a big fan of the show, and uh, I love all the guests you guys have had on. Uh, Nancy Duarte, Chad Cooper, Todd Stottlemyre from my hometown. This is uh, it's a pleasure to be in such amazing company, so thanks for having me. Our pleasure. It's our our pleasure. pleasure. So, David, w- one of my mentors once said to me that an expert is someone who knows something, while a thought leader is someone who's known for knowing something. I'd say you qualify uh, as a thought leader because you're not you're not just any old thought leader. You're someone who's actually worked in the field of sales. You've led sales teams for some fast-growing startups. And you know, you you did this without necessarily having a silver spoon in your mouth or any of the other advantages that some people think thought leaders are born with. You know, how'd you do it? Tell us your story. How'd you get to be the great David Primer? My goodness. Well, that's, that's a lot to live up to. But no, you know what? I always think of myself as a, as a sales leader with the heart of a scientist. You know, people think about uh, sales and, and, and being very analytical and very data-driven, which I am. But it's really the love of learning and being exceptionally curious that I think has got me to, to where I am. I have just a real love for lifelong learning and teaching. And that, that really fuels a passion for helping sales leaders and professionals really supercharge the growth of their revenue um, and careers by unlocking that kind of science of selling. So like most people, I ended up in selling almost by accident. You know, there's very few schools and vocational, you know, courses and stuff you can take that actually help you become uh, a seller, especially start out your career as a seller. I got into selling at the dot-com boom era uh, where I was doing graduate work in engineering 
and ended up getting hired as a, a technical sales consultant at a software startup. And haven't looked back since. It's been almost 20 years, uh, four startups, three acquisitions, an IPO, and just constant learning and evolving uh, along the way. Not just in the vocation of selling, but also in the context of the world of selling itself has actually changed quite a lot in those 20 years. So uh, just that, you know, that, that lifelong learning to stay hungry, to be exceptionally curious, and to fall back on some of those analytical and, and science skills to really pick apart the world of selling. The way I kind of describe it to sometimes to people is, you remember the movie The Matrix? Love that which, movie. Which is like 18 years old now. Like, who, who would have thought? Seems like yesterday. But, that's right. I mean, it's a great movie. And if you remember in The Matrix, how Keanu Reeves' character, he sees The Matrix initially as kind of ones and zeros. And there's not really a lot of sense to it. And he, as he goes to the movie, he starts learning that the ones and zeros are actually, you know, their systems and rules. And they can take forms and he can manipulate them. And at the end of the movie, he sees the, the agents are in these, you know, kind of uh, fully formed ones and zeros. And he can kind of manipulate this Matrix. And that's the way I kind of see the world of sales. This idea that... Sales is a, a collaboration of, of, of rules and systems, and it's not just the analytical, it's not just the process-driven element of sales, but there's a human element, which is different for me, given my science background, but uh, really, really important to the kind of the art and science of selling. And so all of that is just fascinating to me, and I just love getting into it every day and uh, learning about it and teaching it. Welcome to the Selling Matrix, David Kramer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, you know, David, the talk that you did was on the future of selling. And I found that fascinating because I felt that that talk really touched on the four elements that Michael and I have identified that are critical to thought leadership. And let me just walk you through what these elements are. And then I want to get your comments on that with respect to your thought leadership in the area of sales. So number one is clarity, having a clear message, having a clear target market. Number two is a strategy of preeminence or being the best in your field. Number three is having the right mentors. And number four is having the right peers. So the right people to basically guide you and the right people to basically learn from along the way. So. What are your comments on this? Can, can you walk us through how, in your view, selling applies to these four key elements of thought leadership? Yeah, absolutely. So clarity is super important because in this day and age, and especially in the future, people just don't have the attention to listen to pitch after pitch when everyone sounds the same and there's a million solutions out there in the market. And quite frankly, they're very, very busy, not only with their own lives, but all the technology they're consumed with. So in order to, to pierce the armor of today and the future buyer, you need to have a very, very clear message about the value you're adding, how you're different than your competition, and how the experience of working with you as a seller and as an organization, as a product, is going to go down. After all, the experience that we have with a company today is their product, right? Regardless of what it is they sell or manufacture, it's that whole experience. And so being really crystal clear about the the value proposition, um, how you're differentiated, so that people can really understand your brand 
and they don't have to think too hard about it. So that's the way I think about clarity is like, how are you breaking that inertia to use like a physics term? How are you breaking that inertia and really getting through to your customer quickly in a way that is consistent with how they want to be interacted with? So that's number one, clarity. You know, preeminence, you talk about being the best in your field. You know, all too often I find in sales that we're kind of entering the age of me too, Right. And so there's all these solutions out there. There was a statistic back in 2011 in the marketing technology space alone, there was 150 vendors. And in 2017, there were 5,000 vendors. And you can't tell me that all those vendors do, you know, completely different things. There are all sorts of, you know, overlapping and there are modifications on previous ideas. And so in order to, to be the best in your field, you have to have a very, very clear message and a very, very clear sense of how you're differentiating. And so you're bringing something new to the customer and, and approaching it with a high degree of conviction. You know, conviction and certainty, as you know, we, I know you guys talk about a lot, is very intoxicating. People love the idea of certainty and conviction, I believe, goes hand in hand with certainty. So having the preeminence, the willingness to make strong recommendations to show your clients the future and to help them get there is super important. And then the last two, you talk about having the right mentors and having the right peers. I believe that there are, are different uh, archetypes of salespeople and especially sales leaders. You know, I work with lots of uh, folks uh, across the sales community and, you know, I ask them like, what kind of sales leader are you? Are you the, are you the coach? Are you the, the, the analyst? Are you the hard ass? Like what, what, you know, and then, and how do you match with your organization? And so depending on what kind of seller you want to be and what leader you want to be, you have to surround yourself with the right people, people that are going to fuel your desire to get better at what you do, uh, to learn, uh, and I would also say when you talk about, you know, having the right mentors and peers, it also means choosing the right customers. You know, there's a thing in, in selling, which I call the exclusionary principle, which is no matter what you're selling, people make the mistake of thinking that whatever they sell, it's, it's for everyone. You know, everyone's going to want this. Well, that's not the case. In fact, you know, sales psychology tells us that the reverse can actually be true. If you create a little bit of a barrier, if you create a little bit of an exclusionary principle, people will, the right people will acquiesce to your solution. I don't mean to use a, uh, an unnecessarily juvenile reference here, but if, if people are familiar with the, the show The Simpsons, which I used to watch back in the day, there was a famous episode with uh, the monorail when the Springfield is, uh, is, is descended upon by this monorail salesman. Do you guys remember that episode at all? I do. It was a good episode. And so what happens is the salesperson comes in and he pitches this, you know, you know, electrified monorail and it's, you know, it's, it's the future. And what do the people of Springfield say? They say, oh, you know, I don't know. It sounds expensive. It sounds too fancy for us. And what does the salesperson says, say? He says, you know what? You're right. That's more of a Shelbyville idea. You know, the Shelbyville is the rival town. And sometimes being exclusionary and surrounding yourself with the right peers, not only, you know, in the selling game, but also in the, in the, the realm of the customer is what you need to do. Because you want to surround yourself with customers who, who get your mission, get your vision, get your product, and will ultimately be wildly successful with it because they buy in. So that's what I think about your four, your four metrics, very closely aligned, I think, to the world of selling. I love it. I love the story. And I will add a very famous quote from that same episode, and I hope I've got it right. But Leonard Nimoy was in that episode, correct? <laughs> I think so. Yes. And in the end, he says, my work is done here. And someone <laughs> says, right. you didn't do anything. Didn't I? <laughs> didn't I? That's right. <laughs> I think that's my all-time favorite. Uh, but a wonderful story uh, to bring to life what you're saying. 
David, you, you've been at this a while, and I love the fact that you've chosen to go down the science side of selling. I, I, I don't know that, you know, if we have coaches, consultants, authors, uh, we have speakers, we have some entrepreneurs that listen to our show, they all got to sell. And I would, I would, if I was going to bet on red or black, I would say that most are thinking about, you know, they've learned how to sell the way they sell. And it's probably more their art and their personality and their style than it is around the science. How can you help them bring more science to their selling? Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, when you, you watch the uh, infomercials, infomercials do a great job of this because, you know, at one moment you're sitting on your couch or in bed watching you know, at 1 a.m. This, uh, this infomercial not needing to buy anything, and then 15 minutes later, you're you're calling for the magic bullet, right, or the 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 blender, or the miracle, the miracle blade, the Ginsu and knife, <laughs> Gin, the Ginsu 2000. That's right. And and these infomercials do a really great job of formulaically breaking down their pitch in a way that the mind can easily consume without a lot of effort. And so, to your point, Michael, you know, when you have thought leaders who are who are experts in their field they tend to want to jump right to their expertise and not lead the customer through it. And so what happens is the buyer's kind of just left there thinking, I, I don't understand any of this. This is obviously not intended for me or, you know, someone who with you know, a greater intelligence because I, you know, this, this is all very complicated. And so the way I would help someone is to kind of help them walk through. I have an article on my website. It's called use this secret infomercial formula to, to sell more. And, uh, you know, the, the to, I'll give it to you. To break it down, the way a typical infomercial pitch works is first they say, you know, here's the problem. And then they say, here's the ideal solution to the problem. And then they say, well, here's why that ideal solution is bad. And then they insert their product. And there's lots of different mental models for how you can pitch. And this is just one. But if, you know, if I was a, an entrepreneur, if I was a thought leader in a specific area, this is the way I would coach you. So I'll use an analogy that people use all the time, going to the gym, right? So I would say, if I'm using this secret infomercial formula pitch, I would say, hey, you know, guys, you want to lose weight and get in shape, right? Well, the solution is to go to the gym five times a week and eat really healthy. The problem with that is that gym memberships are expensive and inconvenient. I have a solution. And now you're sitting on the edge of your seat and you don't even know what it is. It could be a pill. It could be a, a, you know, a diet. It could be an exercise video. It could be a home piece of equipment. But I'm leading the buyer through this you know, kind of mental model of a problem that they maybe didn't know that they had and really showcasing it to them, showing what the ideal solution is, and then, then positioning what I do as, as the best, right, as the solution for them. So that's one example of a mental model that an, an entrepreneur or thought leader can use to, to really position, you know, what it is they do to someone. You know, the, the, the idea behind selling is that you want to surface a certain amount of pain or discomfort to the, to the person. And typically when you hear, you know, uh, uh, thought leaders or entrepreneurs pitch their product who know their product really well, they don't always do a good job of surfacing that pain. You know, a friend of mine told me, he said, you know, there's, there's three ways if you want to sell a Band-Aid. The first way is you, you walk around, you look for people with cuts, sell them the Band-Aid. Number two is you, you walk around and you, you, you find out who's concerned, people who are concerned about getting cut, and you sell them the Band-Aid. And the third way is you cut people, and then you sell them the Band-Aid. And I'm not <laughs> suggesting that we, we all go around cutting people, but it's, the, it's this idea. <laughs> but it's this idea that you have to surface a little bit of that latent pain. The idea that you know when people wake up in the morning, they are not walking around thinking, I need to get a gym membership. I need to get a magic bullet. I need to do this. I need to do that. 
And so, you know, if you can use a simple formula like the infomercial formula to kind of uh, architect your pitch in a way that gently leads the person through both the problem statement, how your solution um, is a better one than what's out there, then you're going to be in great shape. You know, David, I love this answer that you just gave. And what's really powerful about it is most people that are aspiring thought leaders frankly hate selling. The idea of selling makes their skin crawl. They'd rather do anything. That's why they focus so much on their solution. That's why they focus so much on the wonderful methodology they have that solves the problem. Because selling to them is a scary concept. They don't think they're that good at it. They associate it with all kinds of stereotypes and archetypes of slimy salesmen or, you know, people that are less than honest. And what you just did, I think, raises all that to the surface for people that are in our industry that want to be successful but have this incredible barrier between them and success. It's like people wanting to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die to get there. What are your <laughs> thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, the, the, the one of my favorite books on selling is Dan Pink's uh, book. It's called To Sell as Human. And in that book, he conducts a study, he talks about a study he did where he went around and he asked, I think about 7,000 people, what are some of the words, when I say sell or sales or salesperson, what are the words that come to mind? And he created a word cloud and the words that emerged, you know, were, were pushy, hard, difficult, dishonest, and then just some weird adjectives like yuck and ugh and sleazy. And what he found was out of, out of the top 25 words, uh, 20 had extremely negative connotations. And so, and so you know, I, I completely understand why a person who uh, you know, believes that, hey, look, I have a really great solution or uh, I know, you know a lot about this particular area, uh, I don't want to be seen as that. Right, uh, but I feel like we're entering a, a completely different era now. You know, where people have more information than ever before. You know, it used to be when you want to buy a used car, a lot of times people associate these negative, you know, uh, the, these negative words with used car salesmen. That's the thing that tends to come up. And the thing about a used car is that typically the salesperson knew more about that car than the buyer. And so it was a question of integrity or honesty. Am I selling you a lemon or am I selling you a peach? You know, either way, you won't know. Now buyers have tons of information, right? I can go online to CarMax and get a full report of like everything that happened to that car. And so this parity of, of information and knowledge is really changing the game. And so I don't think that the thought leaders of today and tomorrow have to be especially concerned about coming off as uh, negative or too pushy or sleazy, because everyone can find out what the real story is about you. If we were, you know, dating, you could Google me or you could look at my Facebook profile and find out all these things. If you're trying to buy a piece of software, you know, go into Google and type the name of the software and the word reviews after it. And, you know, but a bing, there you go. And so really, you know, I would say to the all the thought leaders out there, don't don't be afraid of selling. Um, just make sure that you are packaging your your content and your thought leadership in a way that is commercially viable, that it, it clearly explains what you do, uh, how you do it, and who you do it for um, in an authentic way. And there's lots of really great ways of, of doing that. I feel like in today's selling environment and in the future, a lot of the conflict arises because we don't sell the way we buy. You know, if I can unpack that a little bit. So, you know, the way we buy today is we go online and we do research and I want to go on vacation and I check out TripAdvisor and I want to go to a restaurant and I, and I check out Yelp. 
and you know I'm I can go on to the Tesla's website and I can buy a car without talking to anyone just by putting in my credit card. And yet, you know, when we think about a lot of the kind of the traditional sales tactics, you know, it's make more phone calls, it's kind of interrupt, it's kind of bother people. And, you know, we're, we're at this point where we actually don't sell the way we buy. And it's causing a lot of conflict in modern sales organizations. But I think back to your question about, you know, entrepreneurs and, and people who are thought leaders in their respective areas. Don't worry about, you know, selling or pitching. Just add value, be helpful, explain how you're different and how life with you will be better than it was before uh, for that individual. And then, you know, leave it to them. Let them decide. I love the train of conversation here around, you know, how people buy and how we sell. Let's walk through a little bit of a scenario where we can add some things to the way we're doing it that are going to stack up more with your train of thought, David, which is to actually sell the way people buy. So you've talked about adding value. You talked about not making a bunch of calls. If a thought leader today that is wanting to get in front of their ideal market, what what would you what would you start what questions would you start to ask and what recommendations or advice would you start to give? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing is, you know, who who is your audience, right? And and how are you narrowing that audience down? And where does your audience live? You know, where do they exist online? What forums are they in? What are their big concerns? And how do they buy? I think that's that's another thing that a lot of sales organizations and thought leaders will kind of start off thinking, okay, here's how I sell my product. First, I do this, then you do that, then the person signs on the dotted line, and then we have a deal. When really, you have to turn it around. You have to look at how the people in your target audience buy your product. Who do they hang out with? What blogs do they read? What conversations uh, you know, do they participate in? And then you know, try your best to inject yourself in a very authentic way uh, in that conversation. Um, so, you know, depending on where you are, LinkedIn is a great place to have authentic conversations. You know, social media is great. You know, even things like thinking about your website and how you're generating valuable content that helps your community. You know, some of the best, especially in my world, I mean, I, I'm in B2B technology sales. Some of the best B2B technology companies are the ones that genuinely help their customers and their base by generating all sorts of content about the space itself, you know, especially if you're a technology company and you have technology that's spitting out all sorts of data and insights, um, that's a really, really great way to start. Is like help your community by sharing what you've learned. And so I think for thought leaders, and I, you know, I think that's what we all try to do: share what we've learned about building businesses around thought leadership. Share what we've learned around helping people supercharge the performance of their sales organizations. And the more we we share and help. Uh, that is the most authentic way to kind of build your brand. But the key is uh, being really focused and targeted about who you're servicing, what their pains are, how they like to buy, how they like to engage and meeting them where they are. Because, you know, frankly, this is the way the world is going. People are very uh, kind of buyer-centric. They are way more empowered than they've ever been because they have tons of information. They tend to be very skeptical of, of, of vendors and they're very peer-driven. And so that's my best advice is kind of, you know, be out there where they are and help them in their journey. And people will naturally acquiesce to you and your brand. Thank you, David. That's gold. So, David, one of the power uh, principles of thought leadership is that you can deliver your message and solution in many different ways and across multiple platforms. So, for example, when I met you, you were doing a, a talk, a speech, a keynote talk. And there's other ways that 
this message can be delivered. You could be doing one-on-one coaching and mentoring. You could be doing authoring in the form of a book or an online program. You could be doing a training course. You could be doing facilitating. What are some of your thoughts around your thought leadership and, and the way that it can be delivered to people? Like, for example, you really talk about the future of sales. And how do you get that message out there to the marketplace? What are the, the ways that make sense for you and that you recommend our listener consider? Yeah. Well, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a scale guy. You know, I love getting the message out to as many people as I can at the right time. So, you know, I do a lot of speaking at various conferences and events. Uh, I do a lot of writing and my writing is fueled not by what pops into my brain at that moment, but being a practitioner, the things that are happening in my business and the things that I see happening in other people's business. And so I try to, and so I, I write these things down. I, of course, you know, do podcasts like this one, which is fantastic, and just kind of get the message out there. The, the key is uh, choose you know a medium that suits your your style so a lot of people are really great at the kind of the one-to-one and I still love doing you know the one-to-one you know coaching and those relationships but I find for me personally I love it when I can get a message out there that is rooted in a real world experience that I'm having at the moment uh, so for example uh, a couple of days ago we had our quarter end here at my company and I know that a lot of other companies that I've worked with and worked at had their month and quarter end as well so I ended up writing an article about how to negotiate, you know, at quarter end when your quota's in the line, you know, there's a lot of uh, emotion that gets raised to salespeople when you know, they have their, their, the, the, the strange taskmaster of their quota hanging in the balance. And we've all had that experience of kind of walking into, let's say, a car dealership at the end of the month and kind of what that feels like. And so, you know, what I try to do is kind of unpack all of the various insights I have around negotiating at month end and, and put that out into a, uh, an article so it can do the most good. Uh, so for me, it's, I love the speaking. I love the writing. Um, anything I can do at scale to get the message out there. The key is being, I guess, re- repetitious, being consistent. Um, and that's why all of my content tends to focus on the very kind of strategic and tactical, uh, cerebral uh, elements in the science of selling. But I love, I love the scale. I love touching as many people as I can. That's why we changed the name to the Thought leader revolution. There, there is a revolution <laughs> happening in the world where people have knowledge and expertise, just like you, David. And in the past, so many people went to their grave with that knowledge and expertise. And so today, with the technology and what's available and the, the masses that you can connect with, your expertise can be brought to to many, many, many people. And it can be commercialized. It can be monetized uh, in a way that can create an incredible lifestyle for those that choose to do that. What do you think has people stop from joining the revolution? Yeah, you know, I think it could be a couple of things. I mean, number one, maybe it's the skill. They say, well, I would love to reach tons of people, but I, I'm not really such a great speaker, you know, or I'm not really such a great writer. I, I'm really great one-on-one, and that's great, but the, the scale things kind of scare me a little bit. And I mean, the good thing is there's all sorts of trainings and, and uh, content out there that can help you get better at the delivery mechanism. It's never been easier than it is today to, to start up a blog, to start up a, you know, a podcast, a radio show, to get that scale. So my best advice would just be to, to tell people, hey, look, you know, avail yourselves of all of the great content and insights that are out there. Find your tribe, 
you know, do what's comfortable to you. Because at the end of the day, as a thought leader, you have to be really authentic. You have to really love, love, love with a deep passion what it is you do and how you do it. And you have to find, uh, have to find the right medium. So I would just say, you know, find the thing that, that uh, suits your style the most and that gives you the most, uh, the most efficacy, the, the best impact when you're expressing your creativity through your passion. Awesome. I love that. And, you know, I have to acknowledge you because you get it out there. You know, you wrote that one article whenever a long time ago, I'm sure, where you decided, I'm going to take what's in my head, I'm going to put it in paper, I'm going to put it in the hands of other people. Seth Godin always says, artists ship. That's what defines, you're not, not an artist if you don't ship your goods, if you don't put it out there into the world, you're just doing things by yourself. You've gone out and you've actually made the choice to ship your work and get it out there. And what I think a lot of people bump up against is, like you say, they don't think that's good enough. What are other people going to say? And that's the power of having a community around you that is going to support and encourage you and push you to ship, ship more, shipped often. So for listener, if you've got ideas that are sitting on your hard drive that need to go out to the world, make it a point today to just get it over to anybody, get it over to a friend, uh, get your work, your knowledge, your ideas out to the world. That's how you can start joining the revolution. Absolutely. And, and keep doing it. You know, it's, it's very easy to, to stall over a particular piece of content or, uh, you know, article or a podcast or a, or a presentation and say, oh, I don't know, maybe I should work on this a little bit more or find it a little bit more, take off some of the edges. Is this point good? Is that point good? The reality is you'll never know. If you're trying to get this done at scale, you know, you have a good instinct. You are the expert. Like you are, you have the preeminence, right? In your field, you should have confidence that whatever you put out there is going to be great. And some people are going to like it. Some people are, are, are not going to like it as much. Some pieces of your content and some talks are going to be better than others. And that's totally okay. You know, just keep getting it out there. Keep refining. And, and but, but most importantly, listen. You know, the, the thing that I actually love the most and find the most gratifying about you know, the business of thought leadership is when people give you feedback and they say, oh my gosh, it was the end of my month and that one little tip you gave me was the difference maker in, in me you know, landing the deal and hitting my quota or not. Or it helped me um, really understand the career direction that I wanted to go in and I'm ultimately happier at the end of the day. And so it's all of these little bits of feedback and insights that you get from your content that you put out that help you can navigate where you want to go, but you got to keep putting that content out there. If you don't, then you're not going to have enough data points to figure out what it is you really need to double down and focus on as you develop your thought leadership. Brilliantly said, sir. Brilliantly said. David, our listener is either an actual thought leader or an aspiring thought leader, or they're an entrepreneur. So for them, one of the reasons they listen to this show is because they really want to know what your hacks are. What are your secrets? So my question is, what are the top three expert action steps that you recommend our listener takes to improve their thinking, improve their, their thought leadership, and improve their business? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, the first thing I would say is, is write down your ideas and make sure that you have a mechanism to capture them when they happen. You know, all, very often in my you know, everyday life as, as a sales leader, I'll be in a meeting or I'll be talking to someone and then something will pop into my head based on something they said. And I'll be like, oh, okay, hold on a second. I just got to write that down. And so what I do is actually develop a backlog of content. You know, when I have time, I can actually sit by myself and start churning out blog posts and talks and kind of refining because I have this great 
uh, you know, backlog of ideas. And so whether, however you do it, you have a notebook, you have, uh, you know, uh, an app that you use on your phone. Um, that's the key is to, you know, to write down early and, uh, and often and make sure that you, uh, you're capturing those ideas as they, as they come in. Number two, I would say is, is you, like I said, you got to keep doing it. You got to keep doing it. You got to, it's actually the same thing with developing a, a piece of software, a piece of technology, or even building a business. You know, I work with lots of early stage startups and, and giving them advice and kind of helping them architect their, their sales process. And the reality is like, everyone is different. Every organization is different. It would be disingenuous of me to come in and say, here's the blueprint, do this and you'll be all set. You have to learn. So keep putting out that, uh, that content uh, early and often. And then the third thing, just based on that, as I said, is, you know, listen for that, that feedback. So yeah, so to summarize the three things, number one, write down your ideas and make sure that you are able to capture these ideas as they flow so that you don't forget them in that moment of brilliance and the, the spark of genius. Uh, number two, just keep making sure that you do it, right? Write early and often, produce early and often, create content early and often uh, because it's that flow of content and that creativity and the, the riffing from one topic to the next, which is really going to help you uh, substantiate your thought leadership and your content knowledge. And number three, uh, like I said, use, use tons of feedback. You know, you, you got to keep pumping out this content and make sure that you are connecting with your audience. You know, we talked about this idea of being a thought leader is all about uh, being known for knowing something. Well, in order to be a thought leader, people have to know you for something, which means that the audience you know, you're, you're the people who are, are interested in what you're putting out, uh, they're actually the most important the most important person in the equation, just like the buyer is the most important person in the selling transaction. And so you have to make sure that when you go out there and you're, you're throwing down that you are hitting the center of the target every time. And the only way you can do that is by getting uh, lots of feedback in real time about how you're doing. That's fantastic. Well, David, I've had the privilege of seeing you speak. So if you're listening to this podcast and you have an opportunity to see David speak, take it immediately. David, tell us a little bit about your blog website and all the great articles that you put out there that people can consume. Yeah, you know, it used to be, I started writing uh, three or four years ago at my previous job and I just did it as a passion project. You know, I love coaching and I love mentoring and I love kind of helping people and businesses early on in their career really develop their pitch and their uh, their approach. And so I just started writing about the things that I had been experiencing at my company and it got ended up getting published on this blog and that blog and then it got picked up by some really great outlets. You know, Entrepreneur Magazine picked it up and Forbes started picking up some of my stuff. And then as it kind of matured, I started doing more speaking and it, it, it got hard to point people to my content because people would say, oh, that's great, David. How, can you help us do A, B, and C? And I would say, yeah, but go look here and go look there. And so I said, you know what? I just want to pull it all together uh, in one spot and have one place to send people where I could consolidate all my content, which has been really, it's been an incredible experience. Uh, the website is called cerebralselling.com. Uh, there's nothing being sold there. It's just all free content. Uh, it's uh, content around building sales machines. It's all about career development, emotional intelligence, uh, negotiation, uh, sales tactics uh, that I've developed just kind of over the years working across these various businesses and with various businesses. And it's really just been a, a passion project of mine. It's it's nice to kind of be able to look back over the the history and the, the chronology of the content and, and, and pick out the trends and patterns, even for me. It's funny, you know, you think about uh, Facebook. A lot of people are on Facebook. I'm on Facebook too, and I post pictures on Facebook, but I post them for me. 
I post them so that I can go back and see what I what did I you know what what was last winter like with my family. And so in many ways, the blog is like this child. It's this this thing that I feel like I've given birth to a little bit. And now it has a life of its own where it can go out and help people. And so it's been super gratifying. Uh, I continue to write. It's funny actually having an outlet, and this is actually I would say a good piece of advice for folks who are thought leaders or aspiring thought leaders is that once you have that piece of real estate and you have people coming back, and I've been incredibly gratified with the response to the site. People keep coming back and they keep subscribing, and it makes me want to do it more. You know, now when you have an audience and people are are really picking up what you're putting down, you're like, well, now I I have to write every week because I'm just write randomly once every month or once every few weeks, and I'm not I'm not serving the people who who are are looking to me for help. And so um, that's been a it's been a great uh, uh, you know uh, endeavor. And I would encourage anyone who's a, a thought leader, aspiring thought leader, to, to do the same. Consolidate all your content. Uh, make it really easy. Um, have a theme uh, so that people, when they go to your site, they can figure out what it is you do and how you can help them. Like I said at the beginning, we talked about clarity. Uh, really, really important. But um, but yeah, the site's been fantastic. And I, uh, I look forward to continuing to contribute content there. David, that's amazing. You know, you're, you're not just a, a thought leader that thinks about selling in a big way. You're actually in the field you run sales teams for major companies and you're putting more and more of your expertise out there and making it available for salespeople and frankly, other people who need to know about sales, anyone who's in thought leadership and in business for themselves to take advantage of. So kudos to you. Definitely go to David's site, CerebralSelling.com and uh, hopefully in the future, there'll be more and more programs that David's going to have available for you. And here's what I have to say to you, listener. If you're serious and you want to know if you have a message that will resonate in the marketplace, just like David does, and you want to find out how much that message is worth in the marketplace, then let's jump on a call and find out if you could be the David Premier of your market niche. Do you believe in your message enough to put it out there, to do what David said, to be consistent? Are you willing to get past the negativity that might be going on in your head, telling you, I don't know if I can do it, I don't know if I've got what it takes, and get out there and figure things out for yourself and let your message be heard and make that difference you were born to make? I say, if the answer is yes, let's jump on a call. David, thank you again for being on the show today. We look forward to chatting with you again very soon. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me again. This is fantastic and looking forward to continuing the discussion. You bet, David. Take care. The best. That wraps another episode of the Thought Leader Revolution. And what a revolutionary David was. To learn more about David and to get all sorts of tools that'll help you lead your own revolution, you can go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.